Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, you out there. Yeah, you. Listening to this episode of Talking Points. It's your host, Brian Kelly, the points guy, and we want to hear from you about the show. What kind of topics do you want to hear more of? Who would you love to hear me interview? Where do you want me to go? What destinations, conferences, you name it. Give me all of your feedback because we're going to be relaunching Talking Points with amazing new episodes and we want your feedback. Go to thepointsguy.com slash podcast to learn more and let me know by May 1st. Welcome to Talking Points. Today, we have a very special guest, one of the most powerful women in travel, the president and COO of JetBlue Airways, Joanna Garrity. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, it's been a really busy month for JetBlue. You guys finally announced, instead of teasing, about flights to Europe. And the announcement was you're going to be flying to London. Correct. Probably the worst kept secret out there. <laughs> Let's go over for anyone who's been living under a rock and hasn't heard. Yeah, sure. So we announced um, recently that we'd be commencing service to London in 2021. We're very excited about it. It's been a decision long in the making. It's part of our Boston and JFK strategy. It's the uh, top market that JetBlue does not currently serve out of both of those um, locations, and we are very excited to announce it. And as I said, it's been the worst kept secret <laughs> out there. Um, actually, the day before the announcement, our London pin got tweeted out. We and, call that a teaser. And so why London? You know, as I said, it's the top market that we don't currently serve. Um, it's a big O&D market, so we think there's plenty of opportunity for um, better service and great competition. JetBlue does very well when there's an opportunity to provide better service at a competitive fair. And if you look at the fares currently in those markets, uh, it's ripe for JetBlue. A- amen. And, and just so for those listening, O&D, what does it actually mean? Origin and, and destination. destination. So, so a lot of people on both ends. Yeah, business travelers, meaning that the, the JFK to London is the round trip. Connecting traffic will be part of the strategy, but like majority of the tickets you plan to sell will likely be Boston to London and vice versa. Correct. Yeah, we built our business case just on um, originating and origin and destination traffic on JetBlue. So uh, partnerships will be a part of the strategy, but it's not dependent on partnership. This is a question I'm interested to ask you because we're launching the Points Guy in the UK. It's our number two market. Still small compared to, you know, we're pretty well known in the US. I mean, it's 2021, but are you going to start? building the JetBlue name in the UK for those people on the other side of the pond? Sure. So we have a pretty good reputation already. We do have more than 50 airline partners, and we partner with carriers over in Europe. So um, we will likely leverage our partner airlines. But And but TAP is a big one, right? TAP's a big one, Aer Lingus. Um, but you know, we, we definitely have opportunity to do more brand building um, on the European point of sale, and we look forward to doing that in the coming, coming months. And now, so I'm a huge Mint fan, and just as a reminder to everyone listening, we pay for all of our own travel ourselves. So whenever we review products, it's based on our reviews and not sponsorships. But Mint has truly changed the game, even though I'm an American Airlines executive platinum because they cover a lot of other places I go. I mean, when I can get a Mint suite, I will change my schedule. Like, that is my preferred way to fly. And I like supporting the underdog because you're right about fares. On the Transcon fares, they used to be, you know, I used to work at Morgan Stanley before starting the Points Guy. And, 
you know, last minute business class fares and those old recliners would be like four, five thousand dollars. And then, you know, JetBlue came in with five ninety nine one way fares. And really, you've brought prices down tremendously. So my point was, thank you for doing that on the transcom market. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Now, you haven't discussed fair pricing because we're still a couple years away. Sure. But, but the strategy will be similar to what you did on the transcom market. Come in and... And disrupt. Yeah. Disrupt. I think if you look at what we accomplished in Mint, um, it's been simply remarkable. When we started, you know, fares, uh, walk-up fares are well in excess of $5,000, and we have driven those prices down by significant numbers. We've also, with the service that we offer in Mint, introduced a level of service that just did not exist before Mint. Yeah. You know, there was, I think, one market that had a live flat seat when JetBlue launched. Now, 10 markets at West have a live flat seat. And that's because we came in with a better product, better service, and a lower price and forced everybody to raise their games. Yeah, and, the food, uh, I mean, yeah. the, one of the things, I mean, the food on Mint is truly tapas style. So you get to choose three smaller entrees, but it is freaking delicious. You've flown Mint more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, I always sit on Mint and I'm like, Moaning, I'm like, yeah, I'm like licking my fingers, like throwing my hands up in the air. It's like actual food that like you would in a restaurant like be it very satisfied with. Yeah. And also, you know, the blazing fast Wi-Fi for free. Shocking. Yeah. And just the pride that your employees take in the product. Yeah. And without fail, not putting down other airlines, but it's very hit or miss, you know. And I feel like with JetBlue, 95% of the time, introductions. Have you flown Mint before? Can I show you the feature? I mean... It's just a whole different vibe to it. Now, the one downside to Mint, and especially at JFK, the lounge closed. I personally am a pre-checker. I show up to the airport 46 minutes prior to departure and usually don't have issues. Is getting a lounge or even a priority pass lounge a big priority in JFK specifically? You know, we're working through what the ground experience looks like. You know, with regard to Mint and the lounge access, you know, part of our philosophy has been we want to keep our prices low, and operating a lounge is a very expensive thing to do. And so with the transcontinental experience, it's very much been about putting the investment into the product, the onboard product. We think our terminals are great. Terminal 5 at JFK is world-class. And when we start thinking about flying across the Atlantic, um, these are things that we're looking at, but um, we haven't disclosed any of the details of what Or maybe contracting with someone. Because wait, Aer Lingus has a little lounge. Aer Lingus has a lounge in our our area, yeah. So there's different options out there, but we're working through what that ground experience looks like and whether it makes sense to invest in something that um, our customers uh, would appreciate. All right, Joanna, I know we just jumped right into it, but let's learn a little bit about you because, you know, you've been at JetBlue now for 14, over 14 years. Yeah, over 14 years. And before that, you were a lawyer. I was a lawyer, yes. How does one you go? You were at Morgan Stanley, though. So. <laughs> no, no. And so how big was JetBlue when you joined? So JetBlue was 34 destinations, uh, 9,000 crew members. And to put that into context, we are 22,000 crew members now and 103 destinations. Wow. <laughs> How does one go from being a partner at a you know, high-powered New York law firm to now essentially you know, running day-to-day operations at a top airline? Yeah, I mean, I loved being a lawyer. Um, I always had a lot of fun, very detail-oriented, represented airlines and aircraft manufacturers. Okay. So that was the space that I was in before I joined. I did litigation and regulatory work. And then I um, joined JetBlue in the legal department, and I was actually outside counsel for JetBlue for several years. So, you know, the, the airline, especially in senior management, is very male-heavy. Like, mm-hmm. what for women who want to get into aviation, what advice could you give to someone who wants to get in and, and get into a position of power like you have? Yeah, I think take risks. Um, For me, you know, I've had a lot of different jobs at JetBlue. I was head of our people department. Um, I ran our customer experience 
um, department, so an operational role for four years. Um, and all those things were new to me and um, some more exciting than others, but you learn something in all of these new opportunities. And I think taking risks um, is really important. And applying for jobs, even if you don't have the exact set of skills required, I think it makes sense to put your hand up because you never know what may happen. And I often think women sometimes are reluctant to put their hat in the ring, so to speak, because they don't have all the qualifications. And that's something a little unique to women, and and you shouldn't shy away from doing that. Which of your roles were you most nervous about right before taking when you got put in a a whole different division? I think taking the head of HR, taking the head of our people team. I was chief people officer for a while. And I went from managing a team of about five to 300. And that was a big difference because all of a sudden you start um, really thinking about how you lead and how you rally that number of people around um, a common mission and a vision. And all those leadership books that you read become uh, very important and they make a lot of sense in that context. Uh, Whereas before, um, I had a great team of lawyers that worked with me who were very, very much self-starters and... uh, um, and individual contributors, and this um, and this change into the people role was a big a big step for me. And as president and CEO, what what does a normal day look like? A normal day, uh, there's always a lot of emails, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think everybody has has that challenge. But um, a normal day, I spend my time uh, uh, looking at our operational performance. So a lot of de- a lot of dashboards, a lot of metrics, uh, making sure that um, we're performing in the ways we need to perform. And then are there opportunities that I identify or my team identifies that. Uh, we need to address. Um, taking a look at our revenue, obviously, and how our daily bookings are amounting to, and then a series of meetings on different initiatives. I also spend quite a bit of time out in the field. JetBlue is a very hands-on airline. Um, when we fly, we introduce ourselves to the crew. We raffle off free tickets. You know, we help our in-flight crew members tomorrow. Do you ever, do you ever fly incognito? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think spying on people yeah. is not the culture at JetBlue. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's important. And I want our crew members to feel that they can talk with me on our flights and let us know what their problems and challenges are so we could look for ways to solve those. So, um, yeah, so I'm heading out to JFK tomorrow to spend the day there. Just walking around, um, spending time with our ground ops team, our airports team. Have you um, been to every JFK destination? No, uh, not every JFK destination. I've been to about, we have 103 cities, as I mentioned. I've been to, I believe, 65 of them. Mm-hmm. For over two years, Robin and I, our, our CEO, he and I kind of split the network and tried yeah. to hit all 100 cities. Transitioning back a little bit, uh, you know, the London news is so big for you guys. But it is also a risk. You know, there's a lot of, you know, big competitors. I mean, are you still considered a low-cost carrier? Do you still consider JetBlue? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's part of our DNA. Um, Keeping our costs low is one of the ways that we are able to be competitive with the legacy carriers. Uh, When we go into new markets, so, you know, the Detroits, the Atlantas that are heavily dominated by legacy carriers, um, they respond by reducing fares um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, try to kind of wait. Cursing you guys. (laughs) Cursing us, yeah, and trying to wait us out. And one of the ways that we can last longer in those markets is by making sure we have low costs. You know, so Wow Air just went bust. Different model. Um, Norwegian's in a little bit of financial trouble. You're not worried that this is taking on, you know, biting off a little more than you can handle or I think we're you know we're definitely confident that we'll succeed um, as I mentioned large OND market here um, we're not relying on partnerships to feed our uh, our network and you know the play is largely around the mint um, product and with our success in transcontinental mint um, we're confident that we can bring you reimagined experience here and you know we do have more than 50 airline partners and uh, we can 
you know, uh, work with them and really enhance those relationships. But um, it's a different, it's different. We'll be able to feed the network out of the United States. A lot of our, uh, or my fans, every time I fly Mint, they're like, when can I get it? And, you know, JetBlue's very coastal. Um, you know, what's holding you back from really getting that cross-section, the middle of the country into the network? Is it is it slots in New York or just strategy? Like, it's our, I mean, we have six focus cities, Boston, New York, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, San Juan, and Long Beach. And our strategy has been largely about building relevance in those cities. And, you know, we grow between 5 and 7% a year. Um, and it's important for us to um, maintain that level of growth around sort of that, that area. And what that means is we, you know, we aren't going to bring in 40 planes a year to just add cities. Um, we have to be controlled with how we do it um, and make sure that, you know, we're building our margins at the same time. If we had all the planes in the world, um, there would be a lot of cities that would be uh, really exciting to fly to, um, but we need to be measured. Um, We are the only airline since deregulation, 1978, that has not gone bankrupt Hmm. or um, merged or been acquired. And that's an absolutely remarkable feat when you think about 1978 and, and how many airlines have come and gone during those years. And part of the way you do that is by being very measured with your growth, mm-hmm. um, running a smart, strong business. Costs are a huge component of that, delivering a great customer experience and having a different, uh, unique culture. Now, I know JetBlue, in maintaining those costs, you know, used to include free check bags several years ago. That went away. Are there concerns that uh, Wi-Fi will be charged for? And the ancillary fees is a huge way to bring in revenue. What's your take on the, the future of JetBlue changing that? in-flight model. Yeah, I mean, we have no plans to change the um, in-flight model with um, in-flight entertainment. Um, free televisions have been, you know, sort of one of the marks of JetBlue since we were founded. Um, we know customers fly JetBlue because of our um, extra legroom. We have the most legroom in core of any uh, carrier in the United States. Um, so I will fly, my sister lives in Jacksonville, I fly JetBlue home even on a, an economy flight because the legroom is way bigger than even first class yeah. on the regional in some jets cases, that, yeah. that yeah. the other. So. Yeah, and then, you know, free uh, entertainment has been a big component. We have, you know, I think by most accounts, the best the best Wi-Fi in the sky, um, and then our friendly service. So those are the three big things that differentiate JetBlue from um, the rest of the competition. Um, I'll kind of emphasize the free, the, you know, the friendly service because that is really we think the secret sauce behind JetBlue. But yeah, it's it's been um, I think what's what's brought us this far and what will carry us into the future. All right, now we're going to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors. 
offering opportunities for them to redeem their points, uh, making it part of their daily life. Mm -hmm. And so um, in terms of the program, we are looking at how do we make it more bespoke to customers because loyalty does matter. Our co-brand card's great. Um, It's been amazing. I know I get my mosaic on every year because, I mean, I say a lot. My schedule's chaotic and I love being mosaic and being able to change without getting nailed with those fees. You know, you only have one tier mosaic. Most airlines have two, three, four, some secret ones. You're probably in all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have plans to add any more beyond mosaic? At this point, no. We do uh, know that we need to evolve mosaic. My hesitation, I know the team's hesitation is around how do we not um, copy what everybody else has done and create 20 tiers within a, you know, sort of elite tier, which then devalues everything. And so, you know, I think the thing we're struggling with is how do we really make our mosaics feel special? And within mosaic, we know there are categories of different mosaic levels, but we're we're hesitant to just create a second category because that's what everybody has done and it seems like the easy solution. And I believe there's something different within some of the work we're doing around loyalty that can make it uniquely different to JetBlue. You know, so you can either buy Mosaic and, and cash or points, mm-hmm. but the upgrades, I've always I've never quite understood because you can pay the difference in your fa- If there's a seat the day of departure. The difference in the fare, yeah. So it's the difference in the fare yep. of like what mint is that day. Ver- so mm-hmm. if your company is coach only to LA and you're at JFK and there's open seats in mint. You we'll can, upsell you at the gate. Yeah, we will And it's sell. only at the gate. It's, yeah, you it's can't do gate. it. So if you want to try mint and you're in coach, it never hurts to go up to the gate and see what. Absolutely. But you can't use points to cover that difference at the gate, Correct, I believe. I think it's just cash, yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of the reasons why we've had, you know, we have a lot of Mosaic customers that want to be able to just upgrade into Mint, and, you know, one of the reasons why we don't allow that is because it enables us to offer um, competitive and lower fares in Mint. And if you look at some of the legacy carriers, although I know they've changed a lot of their Mm -hmm. practices over the years, half of the front cabin were, you know, sort of their their top frequent flyer uh, customers. And we really want to invest in Mint, and part of the way we can do that is by making sure that everybody has paid to be in that Mint uh, mint seat. I love redeeming points on partners. You guys do partner with Hawaiian, and you can do that. It's a little clunky. But you have a lot of great partners. Have you thought about more integrations on the loyalty front for redeeming points? Yeah, absolutely. It's just a matter of prioritizing RIT initiatives, and um, and this is in the list to do um, with a number of our airline partners. Uh, So you'll see, I think, more of that happening in the future. Okay, well, when you have the scoop... We respect your embargo. I'm just letting you know officially. <laughs> Absolutely. I have never taken men to the Caribbean. I always mean to because it's only certain days of the week, right? In some and, cases, yeah. 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 So what has the mint experiment to the Caribbean, like how has that been? It's uh, been wonderful. So people are paying. For a much shorter trip in some cases. Because you yeah. want to know why I haven't flown mint because every time I go, it's sold out. And, you know, I usually book yeah. my flights like two weeks in advance. It is amazing that other airlines will have wide open cabins. So, I mean, I, th- I think it speaks to the testament of the product that people are, they know which flights have mint and they book them in advance. Absolutely. The um, load factors in mint are unbelievably high. So we encourage customers to book early, um, particularly if you want the single seat. Um, the mint suite is, oh, um, I mean, that, yeah. I, I, I've been telling the True Blue program heads, every single one, make it for mosaics only up until 72 <laughs> hours. And I, I think one time someone told me that it was an ADA compliance thing. We couldn't do that because of so the door. So that's why we don't charge differently for it. Yeah. 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 We, 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 we've looked at charging more Come for on. the suite, but um, but we have to make sure that we're, uh, <laughs> we're accommodating all of our customers and some of our customers with special needs. They, we had some challenges with that particular suite, so we offer the same level of pricing across the board for all seats. But yeah, I have friends that call all the time. Can you just get me? I book my ticket. Can you just get me the single suite? I'm like, I really can't unless I move Brian Kelly out of it. So. <laughs> well, I will tell people to always monitor because I was flying pumps. I love how there's mint on Palm Springs. Yeah. My friends have a house. 
and um, it, all the mint suites were taken. So I actually set expert flyer alerts on, on the seat maps. And actually, and even the day of departure, people don't show up. So I always ask the gate, oh, is there a suite left? And You never you, know. And, yeah. and someone didn't show up, and I yeah. took it from them. It's so. amazing how many people don't show up for flights. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you love to travel? Off, you know, not for work. Like, where do you go to really get away from it all? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I love Nantucket. Um, it's one of my special places. So I try to go I, out there every summer. I flew JetBlue there the yeah. first time I went. Yeah, it's a great market for us. Um, the uh, The city's been great. Um, it's I love Nantucket. I also am a big. I studied in England for a year, so I'm really looking forward. So that's to, why London was the first destination. Yeah, that and we have a CEO that's British, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to to flying to London and getting to see my friends over there more often. My most so I've been to London a million times. I've flown through Manchester. I'm excited to see the whole United Kingdom and I've never been to Northern Ireland. We were just in Scotland recently with the, my team there doing a retreat at Glen Eagles. It was so fascinating. Ooh, that sounds fun. Can I join your yeah, team? Yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> no, you have too much more important stuff to do. Window or aisle seats and you can't cop out and say mint sweet. Window. You're I'm a window person. However, asterisk, when I'm flying on JetBlue flights because I spend time talking with our crew, I always sit in the aisle because I don't want to disrupt the customer next to me, getting up and down and heading back to the galley and chatting with them. So if I'm flying um, on other carriers because JetBlue does not fly there, I will take a window seat. Um, but when I fly JetBlue, I take an aisle. And do you fly competitively with other airlines just to see what they're offering? Or I, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I definitely do. I mean, I think it's important to know what's out there, and um, I think it reaffirms uh, certain things that you're doing right that it also um, identifies things other carriers are doing because I think we all can learn from, uh, from, from the competition. What are the biggest trends you see, like biometrics? In 10 years, do you think we'll be walking through the airport totally without you know, going through security that isn't run by people looking at an ID badge or boarding planes? I know JetBlue's yeah. had a bunch of tests yeah. in biometrics. What are your thoughts on biometrics and then just open trends that you're seeing? Yeah, I think biometrics is one of the biggest ones. We currently are doing biometric-enabled uh, boarding in Boston, Fort Lauderdale, and JFK on our um, a segment of our international flights. We're trialing a number of different products uh, for biometric boarding, um, which is very cool. Uh, we'll also be trialing a biometric bag drop. I definitely think in less than 10 years, you will have airports biometrically enabled for check-in, bag drop, and gates. I'm not sure about the TSA checkpoint. That's a, a more challenging area. Um, there are jurisdictional issues. There's not a database of licenses that you can validate the biometric um, image off of. So there's some significant challenges on, I think, making biometrics widespread, uh, widespread yeah. across the checkpoint. Because they do have it for passports, but not, then not everyone so, has a passport. Yeah, so Customs is great. I mean, they've been very innovative in this space. You will have Customs doing biometric face scanning um, very shortly. So I do think that will redefine the airport experience. You know, customers show up and the emotion that they feel when they step into the lobby is anxiety, mm -hmm. um, particularly if you're a leisure customer. And so our focus has been how do you reduce that anxiety and make the experience more seamless? Biometrics absolutely does that. You know, we need to be mindful of the privacy considerations, yeah. um, and they're real. And, you know, working with some of the advocacy groups out there. But, yeah, I think biometrics is going to be one of those fantastic things. Personalization, that's the other area I think the airline industry is, is behind in. If you look at, you know, some of the other Starbucks, Amazon, what they're doing around personalization. Well, um, even I the think, hotel rooms now where you can go yeah. and 
watching Netflix in one hotel, finish it in the other, and yeah. have it all your lighting set and your yeah. beds and yeah, and these are becoming table stakes now. Customers expect you to know them. Customers expect you to anticipate. Their I know. Needs. I do kind of. I know they have to say, "Have you flown Mint before?" And I'm like, oh, "Of course, I have a hundred times." I yeah. know, and we actually get that feedback. So, <laughs> so as we're building our personalization strategy, that's actually one of the top items that we need to fix because yeah. um, our crew members tell us, "I'm embarrassed that I asked Brian if yeah. he flew Mint when I know he was here two weeks ago and he flew it." So, and I know Jeff Lewis plans beyond London. And I know you don't have any other announcements to share today. You've shared enough. But do you think in 2019 we'll hear about those other cities or the mints, you know, the new mint suite that's going to come out? Hopefully, is that? I don't. So I don't think we'll be announcing much around sort of the product in 2019. I think from a competitive standpoint, we really want to keep it under wraps. Uh, you know, obviously, there's been other announcements around um, more international flying from other carriers and. You know, these are very competitive times, and, and we want to make sure that when we roll this out that we control the uh, the message here because I think it's going to be exciting and very, very uniquely JetBlue. Well, I know I can speak for myself and a lot of other people that we're excited for airfare, especially in the premium cabin, to come down and friendly service across the pond. So best of luck to you guys. You. Congratulations thanks. on the announcement. Thanks so much. And um, thanks for being on Talking thanks. Points. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Talking Points. A huge thanks to Joanna Garrity from JetBlue Airways. Congrats again on all of your announcements. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kelly, and this episode was produced by Margaret Kelly and Caroline Shagrin with editing by Ryan Gabus. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Special thanks to Christy Matsui, my legendary assistant and if you've been enjoying talking points so far thank you and please leave us a good review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this episode may feature offers that are subject to change and are offered by our advertising partners the pointsguy.com is a free website so we do advertise in order to generate revenue for a full listing of our advertising policy go to the pointsguy.com slash advertising Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.